welcome to the Blind Justice Podcast, where you discover the insider secrets of injury and accident cases, and all of your law questions get answered. Now, here's your host, Chicago injury lawyer, Scott DeSalvo. Hey guys, welcome to another podcast. It's been a little while since my last podcast. We had Dr. Fladland on. Looks like everybody enjoyed that one based on the comments in the uh, both on YouTube as well as on uh, iTunes. And the contest to promote the podcast seems to be going pretty well. We've got a lot of new people hitting the YouTube site and, and subscribing and liking and reviewing on iTunes, which is the name of the game. So if you haven't done that yet, or if you know anybody who might enjoy the podcast, please spread the word. Ask them to uh, subscribe through iTunes. Ask them to subscribe to my channel and leave a review or and or go on YouTube. The contest is still uh, going until the end of the month, and then we're going to draw winners for that uh, Beats by Dre as well as or you know, or the choice between that and the massage envy massages. So thanks for all the support so far, and um, uh, spread the word. Time is ticking. We're, we're I'm going to release this podcast today. You've only got a couple of days, basically through the weekend. So it ends on Sunday, uh, the 31st of July, 2016. So uh, like, subscribe, and tell your friends. Let's get a lot of buzz going, and maybe you're going to win some Beats by Dre or some massages. Your choice. So. Um, What's going on in the practice right now? Let me tell you, um, as you can imagine, as I've talked about in the past, because I run a relatively small law firm, uh, I do a lot. So I do the marketing stuff, and I do, uh, I'm do. i involved in the accounting and payroll, and I manage the employees, and I go to court and handle cases and sign up cases and settle cases. So it's a job with where I wear a lot of a lot of hats, and so there'll go there'll be like a period of a month or two where I don't go to a actual trial or contested hearing. So uh, what do I mean by that? Like everybody knows what a jury trial is, but there are things called uh, arbitrations, which are like kind of like a trial, except there's like one judge and there's no jury, and it's outside the courtroom. But all the rules of evidence apply. Usually, uh, arbitration or something like that is done in half a day where, you know, a trial, even a small one can go two, three days. So I just had an arbitration after not doing one for a little while. And I have to tell you, I had a blast. Uh, I wish my law practice was such that I could be in court all the time trying cases. But, you know, you have to take care of the stuff you don't like doing because it sets you up for success. But the reason I bring this up is, um, it's a, it was a great case. So it was a car crash case and good liability. My guy's a passenger. Another guy rear ends the car he's in. So it seems like a straightforward case. Except, uh, well, and then his treatment is good. He goes to the doctor right away, documents his complaints, follows all of his doctor's advice, gets uh, all, does everything his doctor tells him to do. And we think it's a really solid case and it's a strong case. So we're going forward with it. And then once we're, um, what typically happens in our practice is we won't order all of the medical bills and records for an injured person until they're done treating. And if you think about that, that makes sense. Why would we order updated medical records and bills while somebody is still treating? We need the whole set to either try their case or settle their case. So we usually wait until they're done. So we, uh, we wait till this gentleman is done treating. We get all the medical records and the medical bills. And... What the doctor did on the case 
created the problem in the case. And so what the doctor did was he billed about 10 times as high for the medical treatment he gave to my client. And so, um, in other words, if a, if a typical doctor would bill maybe $10,000 for the procedure, this guy for the same procedures billed like $100,000. And he ran up uh, total bills of about $175,000 in less than 60 days with no inpatient hospitalization. Like, this is all outpatient treatment at a clinic, and the doctor rendered $175,000 in bills in 60 days. Now, everything else in the case was great, but the the amount that, first of all, the accelerated rate of treatment that this guy gave, but even worse than that, the amount of the bills were so outrageous. My concern was there's not a judge or arbitrator out there that's going to look at the case and think it's legit. They're going to look at it and say, you cannot believe anything this doctor says medically if he is so bananas about the amount that he charges. So after a bunch of hand wringing and strategy and all that, you know, we went to hearing on it and um, I really feel like I did a great job. I, I think we put a, a, our best foot forward, did everything we could, could to prove it. The client was ecstatic. The client, you know, shook my hands and even gave me a hug and told me five or six times on the way back to the office how how badly we beat the other lawyer and what a great job I did and how I left no stone unturned, which is, you know, nice to hear. But at the end of the day, I don't, I I know the case is legit. I think the doctor's billing practices are just a little cuckoo. So we don't know what the results are, but maybe on the next podcast, I will talk to you about what the result was. And maybe I'll even have the client on if he agrees to, but otherwise I'll let you guys know what the result is um, uh, on the next podcast. I should know within the next, I think, seven or 14 days what the result is. But Um, I just thought it was a funny story. I guess the moral of the story is you can have a perfect case that looks perfect, and then you find out one or two things about the case, and it turns a really good case into something that's a problem. Um, So enough of that. Um, Today, I am lucky to have a friend of mine and and fellow lawyer here in Chicago. His name is Raj Kanuru. He is a uh, personal injury lawyer does workers' comp, and, uh, you know, that's the stuff I do too. But the thing that I really wanted to talk to Raj about today is he has been getting into doing mass torts. And I'm going to be frank with you. When he first told me that he was doing uh, mass torts, I didn't even know what mass torts were. I, I went back to uh, Google and, and put in mass torts to figure out what it was. So I'm, I'm bringing Raj in to... Uh, talk a little bit, and I'm going to ask him some questions, and he's going to explain what a mass tort is and how it's different from a general injury case. So without further ado, here is Raj Kanuru, and he's going to talk to us today. So welcome, Raj. Hey, how are you doing, Scott? Oh, that was abrupt. Um, Did you like my sound effects? Yes, I like your sound effects. They're really good. <laughs> so, Raj, hey, tell us a little bit about you, about your law firm, what kind of law you do, where you're located. Okay, we're located in Chicago. It's Kanuru Law Group, uh, based, based on my last name. Um, and we do workers' comp, personal injury, and now for the last two years, we've been getting more and more into mass torts, specifically into litigation involving pharmaceutical drugs and uh, medical devices is the big areas that we get into. 
Um, when you think of mass torts, the way to think about it is, and this is, I know what you were talking about originally was how is this different and everything else is, what we're looking at here is we're looking for a dev- uh, device defect. For example, it would be a medication or whether it be an actual hardware device or something that they're using. And that causes a problem that's unforeseen that the, either that the uh, pharmaceutical or medical device company didn't tell us about, tell the FDA about, or it was not known at the time. Or maybe they should have known. And that's where we end up starting to sue the, the pharmaceutical or the medical device companies for these injuries that our clients receive. And the way it works is, is that they might be taking, for example, a medication because it's going to solve some type of problem, let's say a heart, high cholesterol or something else, like Lipitor, uh, which was in women, which was given to women to cause, um, to resolve uh, high, uh, what do you call it, cholesterol. But what ended up happening was, is that they found that these women started developing diabetes, and that's where the, a lot of the litigation for the people who were doing Lipitor litigation were going down, and that's where they're going after the pharmaceutical company for that. Well, let me ask you, like, don't they test the crap out of drugs before the FDA releases them? Well, first of all, that's a big misconception. The FDA does not do any testing on its own. Okay, what, what happens is, is the pharmaceutical companies do their own testing. And then once they do their testing, they come up with the results and they give it to the FDA for approval, saying we've done our results and here's where it's at and everything else. But some of the litigation that comes in is how do they do their testing? Because the FDA is constantly tweaking it, and there is commentary on it going on both sides saying, hey, if you test it this way, you can get your results to appear like this. If you test it this way, the results can be skewed like this. So there is some of that stuff going on. The other thing you have to realize is, is that whether it's a pharmaceutical company or a medical device company, their biggest thing is how fast can we get this to the market? And the reason why is the first person to bring whatever treatment you're trying to resolve to the market generally tends to get the market share of everything going on. So as a result of doing that, sometimes there are corners cut or sometimes people just overlook things. And then later on, these adverse effects come out, and that's where this comes in for it. But the FDA has something that's called a black label, which is basically they issue saying, okay, these are all the warnings that we're concerned about, and they do modify it. And they will modify it as time goes on. But then the question becomes, if they modified it and you had the symptoms before they modified it, is it the, the pharmaceutical industry's fault for that? And should they be held responsible? And that's where we get involved in that stuff. Yeah. So even with mandated testing, they can miss stuff. Yeah, because it comes down to how you do the testing. That's one of the things you have to realize and how deep level of testing they do. And the pharmaceutical company's profit motive means it is in their monetary financial interest to have the stuff declared safe so they can get it to market and make back some of that R&D money they spent in developing the drug. Correct, because the thing for them is they all understand their side effects, but they have to prove that the side effects um, are minimal or not as severe as what they're trying to treat and resolve. So, for example, if you're taking heart medication, they don't. if it's a side effect is, let's say, for example, if you take medication for cholesterol, that maybe you lose some sleep or something, then... That's, they might accept that if you have insomnia. But what they won't accept is if you take the heart medication, you have kidney failure. They will never <laughs> accept that. And that's, the, that's what the, the testing and a lot of the stuff goes on to. Yeah, cool. Um, so this is a question I have. What is the difference between a mass tort and a class action, or are they kind of the same thing? Not exactly. With a class action, all the plaintiffs have the same injury. For example, a good class action to talk about is the Volkswagen with the, the Audi Volkswagen, the diesel issue. Everyone who had it 
as they lost their, pro- their value in their car. It was the exact same injury. With the mass torts, everybody's injuries are different. That's mm-hmm. why they do what's called like multi-district litigation, which means while we're trying to figure out who's at fault and asking questions, discovery, like we would in a traditional personal injury case, they consolidate all the cases together. And then once that's done with the discovery, then it goes back and you have to pursue your own case on that. Ah, gotcha. So, yeah, I, I mean, I guess that makes sense. Like one person who takes Lipitor may have uh, high blood pressure to the point that it causes them like a serious medical event where another person who takes it just has slightly elevated. Yeah. Uh, you know. With Lipitor in women, for example, with diabetes, that's what it came down to. Or diabetes, yeah. that's what I meant. Some yeah. women just could were able to control their diabetes by diet to people who had severe insulin issues where they had to be on insulin injections to, I've heard some of them once were even more severe. Um, where they actually had major, major medical complications for it. And that's why you can't put it as a class action because their injuries are all different. How, how does a person, like a lay person, let's say, um, you know, and I've had people call me up about drugs and stuff like that because they see somebody else's TV commercial, right? Mm-hmm. H- how is a person, so let's say somebody is listening to this podcast or they have a friend that they're talking to about this. How, do they, how does a lay person, a non-lawyer, not somebody like you who's a mass torts lawyer, how do they know whether there is an ongoing claim being made or like what, you know, like you mentioned Lipitor. We've all heard stuff about, you know, other medical devices on TV commercials or mesothelioma or, you know, products and stuff like that. How is a lay person supposed to know whether they might have a mass torts case or whether their medical device or their pharmaceutical Uh, might give rise to a mass tort case? It's actually very hard. The very first thing you should do is consult with an attorney, Scott. But the only thing I'm going to tell people is when you consult with an attorney, you need to consult with someone like you or I who do nothing but personal injury, workers' comp, and everything else because this is a very specialized area within a specialized area is the best way to look at it because personal injury by itself is somewhat focused and then you're going to a very specific area. You need someone – you need to talk to an attorney who has a lot of experience with medicine or medical issues and things like this. So people who do like car accidents, people who do a lot of workers' comp or medical malpractice because if we're – those kind of lawyers who are around – who are around the medicine all the time, we're seeing a pattern sometimes develop. The other thing I can tell people also is we have our own website dedicated just to the stuff that you can check out, which is FDAinformationcenter.com. And I recommend people go. There's a lot of information there and a lot of different uh, litigation that's going on. Some litigation we're involved in, whether, for example, like Bear Hugger, other one like Lipitor, we're not involved in it at all. But we still post information up there so people can learn what it's about. And, and what else. was that again? It was FDAinformationcenter.com? Correct. Okay, yeah. great. And I mean, that's a great idea. Put it on, I mean, everything's mm-hmm. on the web now and it's a good resource for people to go to and they can kind of see if their medicine or their medical device is, uh, is on the list, right? Of course. And it'll ask you, there's some literature there for you. But the best site and out there is FDA.gov, which is the FDA website itself. Mm. And they on there will constantly be posting stuff. And for example, I'm on their uh, mailing list. So every day I'm getting reports that are coming in and everything else. And anybody can sign up for the list. It's nothing special. Anybody can sign up and you can see what's going on out there and everything else. Um, A lot of times also you can ask your physicians. Sometimes they know, sometimes they don't know. And it matters how much they know or don't know about it. They know more with medications they will know than they necessarily will with devices. Like, for example, bear hugger litigation, a lot of doctors still don't know what's going on with that stuff. So, so let me ask you this. What if somebody uh, is taking a medication and they've seen commercials on TV or they somehow know that there's some kind of litigation or claim going on here, but they haven't been hurt that bad? So, so let's say um, – uh, 
in the in the Lipitor situation, just for example, uh, they just discover that they have now, despite never being diabetic, they're now pr- they've been diagnosed as pre-diabetic by their doctor, and they think it might have something to do with Lipitor. Should people, even with claims like that, pick up the phone and ask some questions? Oh, of course, because here's the reason why. Just because you're diagnosed now, let's say pre-diabetes or just diabetes controlled by diet or something, as we would consider, quote, quote, more minor, doesn't mean it's going to get worse later on. But there's certain time periods you have to file these claims. And so it's, it's the most important thing is to file it now, call an attorney, and talk to them. The, re- the best attorneys out there, including ourselves and like according you also, we do these on contingency fees. So it's not going to cost you any money to call the lawyer, talk to a lawyer, even to sign up with the lawyer because we don't charge you for it if there's no recovery or anything like that. So I highly, highly recommend people do that. It's like, for example, um, like I know you and I had a discussion before about this, about how when people have, let's say, a car accident, they have a spinal injury, and then they recover from the injury, they are now more susceptible to a later injury. A later time in an injury, they can be more severe or more likelihood of getting an injury later on, or it can degenerate on its own. The same thing is true here with this stuff. So if you are taking medications and you start seeing symptoms, A, let your doctor know right away, and B, you should see a lawyer about it. And if he says to file a claim, file the claim, even if it's minor, because you don't know where it's going to go. And by the time you realize it's something severe, it could actually be too late to file. Yeah, good point. I mean, that's a good point. And, you know, the other thing is, like, there's plenty of you – know, lawyers get a bad rap of being, like, not nice and they don't want to talk to you and all that stuff. And, you know, I know that you're a, a great guy and super personal. I know you take time with the clients to explain stuff, and that's what I try and do too. And a lot of guys in our common circle, frankly, are like that. So people shouldn't feel intimidated to to pick up the phone and call the lawyer. And, I mean, after all, if you think about it this way, your peace of mind is is – there's nothing more valuable than your peace of mind. It doesn't cost you anything to call. And you might be helping the lawyer and yourself anyway, because we work on a contingency basis. Any lawyer you call should be happy to hear from you. Of course. Because it might be a case, right? Of course. And you never know. You might go in with one case and then end up realizing you have a, uh, a separate case totally that's actually where the value is. Raj, I have to, what is a bear hugger? Okay. You're, you're always talking about, oh, bear hugger, bear hugger. I'm assuming we're not talking about people who like to walk in nature and hug bears. No, we're not talking about okay. that. <laughs> it's like a tree hugger, except a little <laughs> more dangerous, dangerous, a bear yeah. hugger. What happens is, is this. Just to give a little background, if you have surgery, and the surgery is longer than a certain period of time, I think it's more than an hour, hour and a half an operating table, there's a chance you can have hypothermia. You can develop hypothermia. And it makes logical sense. Your skin is like a blanket. It keeps the heat in. If they cut it open to do surgery then the heat's going to escape. And so hypothermia is your body temperature goes too low. Yeah, that's correct. Your okay. body temperature goes too low. It's like when they fall into an ice in the water, they're worried about hypothermia. Right. It's the same type of concept. So there's various uh, devices out there that will keep the body warm. There's thermal blankets. There's other ones where they bring warm fluid into the body. And the other ones, which are air blowing blankets, like a bear hugger. It's called a bear hugger because that's just the name given to it because it hugs the body. And it's mm-hmm. Product name. The product name. It's made by 3M, actually. And... There's a lot of litigation in this currently right now, and the reason why there's a lot of litigation is, is that there is some controversy behind it on both sides of the spectrum. But what we're alleging, because we are taking those cases and we are filing on those cases, is, is that that device, which is used during surgery to keep the patient warm, is causing infections, deep joint infections, and people having knee and hip surgeries. And the reason why we're saying that is, is that it's drawing air into the wound site that's unsanitary. And that's falling right onto the wound site, causing the infection to theoretically happen. 
And the logic behind it is, is that normally if you're in a surgery center, in a surgery operating room, the air blows downward, and that's sanitary air. It's blowing down straight down, and it's blowing down for reasons to make sure that there's sanitary, clean air above the operating room table. Right. Because you don't want dirty air above and it. Debris it, and debris. Yeah. Right. So it's keeping all the dust down and everything down. But the bear hugger is drawing the air from below the operating table, theoretically. And there's some articles out there which are going one way that's alleging that this can cause problems. And there's other articles that are saying that we don't know what's causing it. So there's some controversy there still. But it's drawing the dirty air in and it's blowing it into the wound site. That's what we're alleging. And that's what I believe too from a lot of the stuff that I've been reading about it and a lot of the discovery stuff we've seen and everything else. And it's blowing right into the wound site which causes an infection. Now, the problem with a deep joint infection is – as you know, this doing personal injury is the very first problem when they put hardware in and it get doubles an infection, they got to take the hardware out. And then they got to put antibacterial beads in, and then you have multiple, multiple surgeries suddenly happening. Like yeah, I have one I, cl- in fact, I just got called by a guy uh, earlier this week who is a carpenter who had to have a total hip, and he's been fighting with uh, infections like crazy. Yeah. Like ever since. I guess I should order his records and find out did they use a bear hugger? Yeah, that's what you have to look for. You have to look in the operating reports, specifically the anesthesia reports, and you'll find that they used it. Um, and bear hugger is used in about 80% of the hospitals hmm. in the country. It's made by 3M. It's used by them. Uh, and that's where a lot of this litigation is coming out of. And it's just started out. It started off last year generally. And it's now the MDL has been formed, which is a multi-district litigation, which means is we're consolidating all the cases throughout the country for one place to do all the discovery. So one judge is assigned to help do all the discovery. Yeah. Um, and that's being done out of Minnesota because that's 3M's uh, headquarters. headquarters. So yeah. we're doing it out of Minnesota. And the work's going down that line. For How me. do you guys address this? You know, anytime there's like a hardware put in the body, like you're, you're doing a knee replacement or you're putting hardware in the spine, you know, like a fusion or – like we were saying, a hip or something like that, or a titanium rod. I mean, you're putting a foreign uh, object in the body. And depending on what we're talking about, I I know that like with hips, I I think the the medical literature is something like close to 20% of hips end up with an infection. Mm -hmm. Does that, should that detract somebody from talking to a lawyer? Like they they get a hip infection or, or they get a bad infection in their hip uh, after a total hip, they have to remove it and put a spacer in there while they're hospitalized and they're cleaning out the infection. They're on massive IV antibiotics. You know, they lose 12 weeks of their life on their back because of this infection. You know, I guess my point, or I guess my question is if there's sort of like a statistical or established risk of infection in the medical literature, should we still look at the bear hugger? as a cause of the infection, or does that high rate of infection anyway kind of preclude you from claiming a bear hugger did or might have caused the infection? It doesn't preclude it because one of the ways I combat the infection thing is I look at the surgeon the same as an airplane pilot in some ways, and here's the reason why. My friends who do fly tell me, is, uh, especially the ones who do the some of my clients who are pilots, um, they tell me when they're getting on the plane cockpit going through their checklist – it doesn't make a difference if uh, it says it's okay. If they don't like it, it gets replaced on a plane because they're the captain. They say, I, want, I don't like this, get it replaced. The same thing I look at is with the surgeons when they're doing their surgery. They've told me repeatedly, if I don't like the way the knife feels, the scalpel feels, if it could be perfect, okay, but I don't like the way it feels, it's getting replaced before I go in there. It's the same concept. So that's what we're looking at to see what happens. And, but the thing is, in your question specifically about the infection rates and everything else, mm-hmm. that's why you need to get an attorney involved right away because we have to see the exact type of deep joint infection. 
and that's what we're looking for. There's various types, and that can cause this, that can be caused by the actual uh, bear hugger theoretically, or that can be caused by the actual device itself being infected naturally from before or it can be hundreds of other reasons that could have been causing it but that's what we're looking for and that's what the experienced attorney is going to look for to see where it is and that and raj i'm glad you brought that up because that is a great point the deadlines for filing these cases are hard deadlines like you you can't blow the deadline and say well judge we we had to order lots of medical records and it took us a long time uh that it's a hard deadline so when an attorney is investigating a case the sooner you hire the attorney the more time it gives that attorney before the deadline to do a thorough investigation. Yeah, and that will actually lead to better complaints you know, being drafted and being filed, and it makes the whole process a lot smoother. Yeah. And it makes sure the right parties are involved for this whole process. Like, is it, And that's where you have to look at it. And yeah. the part of the reason why um, I recommend that especially is, is that traditional medical malpractice cases, infections from surgeries are not really pursued that often. And the reason why they're not pursued as a medical malpractice case is it's kind of accepted as an assumption of risk that you're going to might develop an infection. Yeah, a certain percentage are going to be infected. Yeah. Yeah, I've, I've, had, I've heard people say that the only way to win an infection case is if you have a good uh, delayed diagnosis. Yeah. So, but this is where the bear hugger comes in. That's why you need to find somebody experienced because the infection might not be caused by the surgery itself. It might be caused by this device. It might be caused by the prosthesis that they're putting in and things like that. But that's where an experienced person will be able to figure that out, what it was and what it wasn't. Okay, cool. Well, I'll take a look at it and I'll let you know. Um, what about like, uh, what about like just a hip failure? Like the hardware itself fails. That occasionally happens. It, it, is that something that's like a mass tort kind of case? Oh, yeah, of course. Okay. Um, because the reason why it is is it would end up in federal court, and there is some litigation going on right now with it also. As you, everybody knows, the hip failure, striker, and a few other ones that are going on. So those are, of course, mass torts as well. But the key to those kind of cases is you have to save the hardware. If we're going to say that the hardware itself was defective, the hardware needs to be saved. At all costs. So you, when, if you're going into surgery and let's say they say the hardware is not working, it, it wasn't installed correctly or it was defective in somehow, make sure the surgeon saves the hardware for you. They will save it. Yeah. And then make sure you go see the attorney right away so that he can get the hardware and get it analyzed. Because the key to that thing is going to be is you're going to have to have an expert analyze the hardware to figure out if it's, is it the hardware or is it not the hardware. Right. Because, for example, I had a, a hip case a couple of years ago. I thought it was a great case where the hardware I thought was going to be – the reason was I thought the hardware was defective. But the problem was actually was is that the cement when they put the hip in didn't hold on one side. Uh, and that's what made it defective. So that wasn't actually the hardware being defective. It was just the cement did not hold. Right. So that was a different hard to Hard to bl- – I mean you can't blame the hardware manufacturer if it's a cement failure. So, and you can't really blame the uh, doctor either because that happens. That's right. That's one of the things that happens. So that's why you've got to save the hip. You've got to save the records, and that's something where the experts come in. Yeah, as you said before, it's a known risk. Yeah. It's a good point. I'm, uh, I guess I'm running out of questions. I think you did a good job explaining – Mass torts. Are there? Is there anything else you'd like to say about mass torts, or, or something about mass torts that most people don't know, or that they're surprised about when you talk to them? The main thing I tell people is like when I get my intake calls, when people call us, they call us with symptoms, and that's what I recommend. Call us with symptoms. Don't just call in saying I think I took this device or I did this or something else. And the reason why I recommend that is, is the symptoms will tell us based on what treatment you had and what symptoms. What possibly could be the thing that's causing the problems? Because the main thing is sometimes is yeah, there's one is the litigation aspect, but the other aspect to it when we're talking to our clients, at least for me and I know for you too, is helping our clients get the answer. 
which they're looking for is what happened here? Why did it go wrong? And what can I do about it? And that's going to come out if you come to us with the symptoms and everything else. And so I really do recommend that. The other thing I do recommend, though, is if you do think you have either a car accident case or an infection case or some mass tort case or workers' comp case, regardless of the type of case, make sure you go to somebody who does in that area only. And the reason why I mention that is is that cases, even though I have a lot of clients come to me, oh, my case is slam dunk. As you were just mentioning before in your thing about the PI case of yours with the car accident – very few cases we get are slam dunk. Most of them, there's always some twist to it. And that's where right. our experience comes in is what's all we do. Yeah. Like the joke I always make to my friends is, or even my clients, when they tell me, hey, I got a speeding ticket. Can you help me out? I'm like, listen, dude, I'll help you on your PI case. I'll help you on your workers' comp case. But if you ever present you on your, in your speeding ticket, you're going to jail for life because I don't do criminal at all. <laughs> and I was like, I've never done it. I took one criminal law class. I have no interest in it. So it's not that I want to blow you off. It's, I'm not the person for you. For yeah, I, I almost prefer to handle a case with a couple of obvious problems that I see up front than I do handling what looks like a great case and we get all the way through it and then we find out that there's oh, yeah. like this one thing that really hurts it. But I mean your point is well taken. Like you you can have a case that you think is fantastic and literally there's no such thing as a perfect case. They're no. all hard and you you can take a perfect case to trial. If one person on that jury doesn't like the case, you get zero. Yeah. So it's uh, or you get a hung jury, you got to retry it. It's uh, it's bad news. So none of this stuff is easy. Um, Raj, I want to tell you, I really appreciate you coming in. Uh, I've known you for a few years now. I think you're a great guy. You're a great communicator. You and I share uh, a love of marketing. We've both kind of yeah. manage our own marketing in our law firms, and I I know you're a good guy, and I know that you care about the clients, and you. You do a great job on their cases. If somebody wants, everybody listening to this knows how to reach me, but if somebody wants to reach you about uh, an infection case or a, uh, or a mass tort or a hip failure or a bad medicine, you know, something like that, uh, how, what's the best way for them to reach you? Give me a call, uh, 312-801-2000, uh, 312-801-2000. You can come there and uh, give us a call. Go to our website. Um, you can go to our uh, Mass Torts website, which is fdainformationcenter.com, or go to my own website, canurulaw.com. Yeah, fantastic. Well, once again, thanks for coming in. I really appreciate it. Uh, I'd love to have you back if you ever, if there's ever any developments in the law or anything you think people ought to know about and you'd like to come back to the podcast and, and talk about it. I'd love to have you. And, I mean, other than that, thanks for uh, coming in, folks. That's Raj. Hey, guys, thanks for listening. And uh, until next time, take it easy. Thanks for listening. I truly hope that the information in the podcast helps you no matter the situation you find yourself in. But you might need more answers or some more direct help. So there are three ways for you easily to find out more and to get help. If you call my toll-free 24-hour helpline, 888-HURT-318, 
you'll have a couple of options. 888-HURT-318 is my toll-free 24-hour telephone line. You can call that number and speak with my team night or day. First, you can call 888-HURT-318, and you can speak to me for a free consultation about your case or situation. That's always free and no obligation. Second, you can tell the operator that you'd like a free copy of my injury DVD and book. I created the DVD and book, and I give it away for free to injured people who need answers but who might not be ready to talk to a lawyer yet. Same deal, 100% free, 100% no obligation. Third and finally, you can check out my YouTube channel for informative videos about the injury case and claims process, or check out my other podcasts for more information and interesting interviews with people who know different things about various aspects of the law. I've put all of this together to help you and answer your questions. Now, you can also help me, and I hope that you will. If you enjoyed the podcast and if it helped you at all, please subscribe. And if you can, take a minute and please post a positive review of the show. If you're listening to the podcast on YouTube, like the video and subscribe to my YouTube channel. And if you know anyone who might enjoy the podcast, please spread the word and share it on Facebook. It's my mission to spread good information to as many people as possible. And your liking and reviewing and subscribing to the podcast helps me get the word out. Thanks again. This podcast is for informational and entertainment purposes only. It doesn't substitute for consulting with a lawyer. If you have a case, speak with a lawyer right away. 